Hi everyone, I'm Catherine, Compulsive Overeater. Um, thanks for having me share my story at your meeting. I'm just going to um, pop my before. I'm going to sit with me, my old self and my current self. <laughs> um, so I, um, this was me before OA, <laughs> this is me today. Um, just to qualify, I the heaviest weight that I know about is, and I had to convert this from kilograms to pounds for you folks. Uh, uh, the heaviest I know about was 280 pounds, and then I got down to 175 pounds. So that's my physical part of my physical recovery story in OA. I may have been heavier than that, but I by that time I completely avoided the scales, and so I cannot actually tell you how heavy I got. Um, so that photo of myself is from Christmas Day 2004. I was 30 years old and, you know, I'm wearing a T-shirt and tracksuit bottoms. like, and, and that was what I wore on the day. That was like my capacity for wearing lovely clothes was, you know, a T-shirt and tracksuit pants because that's what fit me. I couldn't buy uh, clothing in regular stores. I had to go to the plus size stores and I reached, um, I'm aware that our sizing is different as well. So uh, in Australia, I got up to a size 28. So I don't really know what that is in the US. I think it's, well, I'm not sure if it goes backwards or forwards, but in, anyway, anyone who wants to know can look that up. Um, so uh, I'm pretty sure I've been a compulsive overeater for most of my life. I grew up in just a pretty regular family, mum, dad, older brother, and myself. We had pets. We lived in the suburbs. I went to the local primary school, the local high school. Um, you know, I had a pretty normal, average life growing up. Nothing overly dramatic happened. It was, you know, pretty normal. Um, or average, I'll just say average. Um, so I remember Saturday mornings, watching cartoons with my brother and my parents would be having a sleep in and I would be tiptoeing back to the kitchen to get a little bit more of whatever goodies that we were having. And, you know, I might have been five years old. I knew I wasn't supposed to get more already. Somehow I innately knew that I'd, I'd had the what was normal, um, but I just wanted more. And I knew I had to um, be sneaky about it. So I, I learned to be sort of sneaky around food very young. Um, and that's part of, you know, how I, when I look back, once I came into OA at my eating history, it goes back that far. If uh, I didn't grow up in a household that had a lot of junk food, um, we, we had health, what I would call healthy food for the most part. And if we had, um, treat food in the house it would be because we were having guests over so I remember also if my parents ever had dinner parties that's when the food that I wanted would be available and when my parents would be saying goodbye to the guests at the end of the evening or whatever I would say goodbye Mr and Mrs whoever and I would run back to the dining room and quickly consume as much of the things remaining on the table, usually dessert type things, um, as I could get. Like I would I'd quickly scuff as much as I could. No one would notice and I'd get my little fix. Um, so I definitely had a problem from 
from very early on. When I was old enough to get a job, earn some money, then of course that eating increased because I had access to more food. And then when I moved out of home, well, it really took off. And I was never much of an exerciser or dieter. So I definitely wore the consequences, the physical consequences of overeating. I just wore that. It was visible for everyone to see. Uh, I did try the occasional diet. Um, here's a bit of my insanity. I was paying to see a dietitian. Um, and, I, you know, I was paying good money to see someone to help me and I would go and see this person regularly and I would, one day I went and I told them that I was going on a cleansing diet because I decided myself that that's what I was going to do. So I wasn't listening to what anyone else was suggesting. I was doing what I thought would work for myself. And um, at that time, I don't know, the dietitian stuck with me. She obviously knew that I had a problem but um, and she wanted to keep working with me which I was grateful for but I was not being honest with her and I I didn't recognize that until I came into Overeaters Anonymous and I heard other people's stories and I reflected back and I realized oh yeah I told her what I ate for breakfast lunch and dinner I just neglected accidentally not to tell her what I ate between breakfast lunch and dinner and after dinner and also that was partly because I was not telling myself what I was doing. I had a lot of stories in my head to justify my behaviour. So if I was going to a takeaway place or a drive through I had a story in my head. I'm buying this for me, my partner, my children, my housemates, my whatever it was. Now, I lived by myself and I was obviously the only one eating it, but I needed that mental justification because I knew what I was doing was somehow not, it was just what no one else was doing it as far as I knew. But so in order for me to at least kind of cope with destroying my body and let alone my emotions, <laughs> um, I needed justification. So I, I often had stories. And just before I found OA, I went to a all night like food place and um, I piled everything on the counter to pay for it and my worst nightmare happened. The man behind the counter said, oh, is this all for you? And I did a little kind of like, <laughs> like a little sort of chuckle, like, oh, yeah, oh, of course it's not. Um, and, of course, it was. And I was put on the facade to him in the shop, like, ha, 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 of course it's not all for me. I was dying on the inside, like that, and that had been one of my fears that people will find out what I do with food, you know. Um, so that did happen. <laughs> I started to see a lot of television programs about people getting craned out of their house and um, ambulances having to come and not, not being able to take people to hospital. And um, just before I came to the fellowship, I, I was thinking that's going to be me. There's nothing stopping that from being my story. Unless something changes, that will be my story. I will be the person who needs to be craned out of her house. Um, I would wake up thinking about food and what I was gonna eat and I'd go to bed thinking that I'm gonna die through the night of a heart attack. Um, I couldn't really lie on my back as a you know 
and fat around my neck was so much that I, I just couldn't breathe comfortably lying on my back. I never had a machine to help me sleep, but, you know, but I would go to bed every night having binged myself silly, thinking tonight's the night I'm going to die. And then tomorrow or maybe the next day or maybe even the day after, they'll find me. And they'll find my body and they'll find the wrappers in the bin and they'll know what I've been doing. And, and, and I'd be dead, obviously, but that kind of wasn't the point. Like I just was, um, I was scared. I couldn't stop what I was doing and I knew it was killing me. Whether it killed me quickly or slowly, it was going to be the end of me one way or another. So sounds pretty drastic. It was pretty drastic. I was pretty miserable. I, mean, I had a good um, five years before I found Overeaters Anonymous where I, I qualified for OA. So we just read in the traditions the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. I had that desire for a good five years before I found OA but I just couldn't stop. And I didn't know that this was a disease. I didn't know anyone else who ate the way I did. I didn't know anyone else who obsessed about food the way I did. I knew people who dieted and, you know, people talked about diets and they talked about body image and they talked about their weight. But what I was doing, as far as I was concerned, was completely secretive. Nobody knew and I didn't know anyone else who did it. Um, so that's a lot of the physical, but one of the other things was I was quick to anger a lot. Like when things happen, I would get angry fast. And if I took things personally a lot, I had a brilliant capacity to take things personally because everything was about me. And the big book does talk about, um, the big book Alcoholics Anonymous talks about selfishness and self-centeredness being the root of our troubles and boy, you know, I could get cut off on, in traffic. Now, I was not capable of thinking, oh, gee, maybe that person is struggling to drive or maybe that person's just got some bad news or maybe something's happened for them. All I could think was what they did to me, how it affected me, what was going to happen to me. Ten minutes. Um, thank you. Uh, so, it, you know, the selfishness and the self-centred and I was the centre of my own world and I was not capable of considering anything or anyone outside of that even in terms of the food it was like what am I going to do how am I going to help myself or how am I going to get the food and don't come between me and my food like if 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 I had bought all my things for a binge and I was about to sit down in front of the tv and go at it and someone called me boy, I would answer the phone but I would be short and abrupt and not kind and not generous. I mean, I played the role of like, oh, it's great to hear from you. Haven't heard from you for ages, blah, 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 blah. But I was trying to get them off the phone as fast as I could so I could get back to me and my food and what I wanted, um, which is kind of embarrassing to say, but that's really how I functioned um, before recovery. It, I was focused on myself. So eventually I heard about OA. And I looked up in the phone book at the time and I rang the number and I got an answering service and I had a real attitude and I'm like, oh, stuff them if they can't answer the phone, then, you know, 
they're hopeless or they're whatever I thought about them I was was not pleasant and so I'm like no don't need them now fortunately I really did need you all and I must have I don't think I knew about Google at the times this is back in 2007 I was a bit slow on the tech update uptake but I obviously looked it up and I found the world service site and I tried to find the meetings list and the meetings list wouldn't load so again, with my attitude, I was like, stuff them. They can't even get their website to work properly. So, um, so it took me a couple of tries and I got online again and a meeting came up about five minutes from where I lived. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this meeting. And I also had an opinion about what the meetings would be like. Now, of course, I didn't know, but I thought I knew. And I thought it'll be a bunch of sad, fat, lonely people sitting around crying. And particularly, I thought it would be sad, fat, lonely women. Uh, I went to my first meeting and there were two men there and they said, hi, are you here for the meeting? And I said, what meeting? And they said, Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I went in and no one else turned up. So there was two men and me, and I was the only sad, fat, lonely woman sitting in the room. I'm not sure if I cried, but I, I, I did um, think, oh, this is interesting. And that for me is what we sometimes refer to as a God job. You know, there were lots of little miracles. Even the man at the food store asking me, is this all for you? I look back and I think, thank goodness. That's my higher power saying, come on, just nudging me towards recovery. And my first meeting with only two men was a miracle and one of them was a newcomer and the other one had 18 years of abstinence and he shared his story. And he talked about food, the way I was with food and what he did and what it was like. And I was astonished that it was a real thing. This is, this is A, a disease. I didn't know this was a disease. B, other people have it. <laughs> C, it's recognisable, nameable. Um, it has particular characteristics. That was all good news for me that night. That, like that um, changed a lot for me straight away that first night. I, I don't sure that I took the first step that night, but I knew that I had a problem with food and my life was unmanageable. The other thing I got from that meeting was there is a solution. I really got that the first night because to hear someone share that they had been abstinent for 18 years, they looked pretty normal physically, they sounded pretty sane. And so I took the meetings list that night and we didn't have a lot of meetings close by me, but I, I realised that night if I drove for an hour to get to a meeting and then spent an hour at a meeting and then drove for an hour to get home, that's about three hours that I'm not on the couch eating. And so that's how I sort of started. And I just listened and I heard my story in the rooms and I heard people who had recovery and I heard about little bit by little bit, I heard a little bit more about the 12-step solution. I got a copy of the big book. I, I was a fan of the literature, so I've, I've got nearly all the OA literature. Um, including the more recent one on body image relationships and sexuality. And I love the literature. I can't, and I take it literally. You know, I take what the big book says literally. Um, when it says we suggest you do this, I'm like, yeah, okay. 
<laughs> like, um, so I was teachable. I was definitely willing by the time I turned up and I was open-minded and I was teachable. And um, we just read it before I had it to share about um, if you've decided you want what we have and you're willing uh, to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And I was ready when I came in. I mean, the five years in the lead up was hell. I don't know if I would have been ready any time in those five years, but it doesn't matter. I turned up when I turned up and um, I, I got a food plan. Like I, and I took the food plan from the dietitian that they'd given me because it was just sort of a normal healthy plan of eating. But when I was trying to work with them, I could never follow it. When I heard a fellow overeater talk about their, a plan of eating and how they just have it one day at a time, something clicked. And so I did it for one day and I was abstinent that day. Then I did it the next day <laughs> and I was abstinent the next day. And then I did it the next day. And I remember, well, I, I got a sponsor. I asked someone who was the least likely person that I would have asked. You know, I still had a bit of an attitude, but I saw someone in the room and I knew oh, that's the person I need to ask. And I, would, I didn't want to, if it had been kind of my choice, I would have looked for the perfect person or what I perceived to be the perfect person. And they were just another member and I asked them and they said yes, and they were a gift. They took me through the big book. They took me through the steps, the big book via the big book and um, they really set a solid foundation for my recovery and I'll always be grateful for them um, they also taught me that recovery is not a guarantee um, sadly they had a relapse and they've never made it back they walked into the a meeting room a few years after that I hadn't seen them for a few years and they walked into a meeting I was at once and I did not recognize them they were physically unrecognisable and they've sort of stayed around a bit, but they they haven't get it. So that also taught me, you know, it's not guaranteed. Like this is a one day at a time reprieve. And if I stop working my program, then chances are I'll rely on myself again and be back in my unhappy place. Now, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally or spiritually, I'm... I'm destined for pain and suffering if I rely on self-will. Um, so how do I work my program? Well, I keep coming back. I say yes when people ask me to do service. Um, I think I started, you know, when someone said showing up to a meeting is service, I was like, oh, okay. Like just turning up and being present is helpful because if no one's here, then... No newcomer can walk in because there'll be no one here, right? So turning up is service. It can be really simple. Um, you know, when I got asked to share tonight, I was like, yes. And I would love to say I'm doing it for all of you and all the newcomers, which that's a lie. And since I'm committed to honesty, <laughs> um, the truth is I do it to keep my own recovery. If I want to keep what I've got, then I need to carry the message to others. I need to live it one day at a time to the best of my ability. And, um, and that's what I, I do. I'm willing to do it. And I look at that picture next to me. One of the other reasons I know I qualify for this program and I have this disease is I can't necessarily tell the difference between me then and me now visually. I know I'm like 100 pounds different, but I can see the same thing. 
I can look in the mirror and still see me then. Um, so my visual perception of my body image can change. You know, in the morning I can look fabulous and by the evening I look disgusting or the other way around. You know, I still have, thank you. I still have this disease and um, I know that, you know, God willing, I'll never leave OA because I don't really, where would I go? I'd go to the shops and I'd buy myself. So all the things that I don't need anymore. So the other thing that's happened, apart from the physical recovery in in OA, um, I haven't had a binge is since 2007. Um, I have probably had half a dozen, I could count half a dozen, what I would call slips, where I've found myself all of a sudden taking a bite of something extra that is not not my trigger foods, that's by the grace of God, not the foods that I'm allergic to, but I have found myself sometimes like going back for a bit more and I'm like, whoa, what, what am I doing? That's, I don't do that. But I've never had a binge um, since um, I've taken the 12 steps and, you know, there's a spiritual program of recovery and having had a spiritual awakening. And I would say I have had a spiritual awakening. I don't know what God is, but I, I aim to talk to God each day and I develop that relationship, which is unique to me. Uh, I can't explain it to you. I can't even explain it to myself, but I, I go there and I'm, I'm willing to go there. You know, I really have the willingness to, to work it and to do what's suggested. From you know, When I see happy, joyful people and smiling people and people who are genuinely free from obsession, like as much as the physical excess weight was killing me, the mental obsession I think would kill me before the physical because I couldn't live with myself obsessed 24 hours a day about shall I eat, should I not eat? Um, maybe I could eat, but I better not eat. Um, will I do it now? Or maybe I better not do it now. But if I get that, then I don't have to get that. That's a killer. Even saying it in this sharing now, I'm like, oh gosh, I remember that. And it, it's awful. And I'm here to share from my experience that it doesn't have to be like that ever again. Um, there's freedom available for all of us and the 12 steps worked for me and I don't see why they can't work for you. I just say in the book, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. Again, um, Take it literally, take it for what it says. You know, I think they wrote it with good intention and and the only purpose really was to share. Like we found something good and if you want it, you can have it. And um, so it's a real privilege to join you at the meeting. Obviously, if you didn't guess, I'm not from America. I'm an Aussie, I'm in Melbourne. It's about one o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. So, um, it, but it's a real joy to be here with you all and to have so many newcomers present. And, and, and I get a lot of joy at being at OA meetings. Like I'm, I've got many wonderful friends in this fellowship. I've got a whole new life, really. I've got a new career. I've got um, skills I learned doing service. Uh, people I never would have met from all different walks of life who have opened my mind and expanded me out from the girl in the suburbs into the world and and but more importantly like actually living I'm not surviving I'm not existing I'm really living and 
most of the time thriving. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you for having me here. I considered a topic for tonight and uh, thought willingness might be, um, you know, a good thing to speak on if anyone wants to share their experiences of willingness, whether they are willing or not willing. Um, willingness is definitely one of the keys to our success. And, and that's that's it. That's my story. And I look forward to hearing some of your stories. So thank you.